When you stop and think about how our world is changing, how America is changing, you have to wonder, is it a positive or a negative change? It is, of course, a matter of opinion. And with over 330 million Americans, there are at least that many opinions. So it is up to you to decide which opinion appeals to you. Some media outlets will try to shape your opinion with propaganda and even outright lies or fake news. This is the Truth Hurts program, where I give you what I believe is the most important opinion of all, mine. My name is Steve Z. so sit back and relax and enjoy listening. You might even learn something. And through your feedback, I too might learn something. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Ladies and gentlemen, the alliterative mind of Steve Z has struck again. Yes, boys and girls, I have come up with the perfect headline for the problem of Portland package thieves. I I think it's rather cute. This would probably get me fired immediately from any newspaper. In speaking about the portly, chunky, large package thieves that have been running around Portland, Oregon lately, stealing packages off of people's porches, I came up with the perfect headline. Peeved Portland package providers pan pesky Portland portly porch pirates purloining packages, presenting problems prompting popular proactive police presence, preempting proposed painful plans, protecting Portland's package patrons, and punishing perpetrating purloining pursuits. Kind of silly, huh? That's an awful lot of pee for one headline. But Portland, Oregon is not the only place in America where you can find portly porch pirates or skinny porch pirates or crackhead porch pirates. Now, if you've never heard the term porch pirate, it is highly likely that you've never ordered anything online, you speak to no one in public, and you've never watched a television newscast. Porch pirates engage in a cowardly act of thievery They follow the mailman or woman. They follow the UPS delivery driver person or the FedEx driver person. And now those Amazon delivery vehicles. Why do they follow them? Well, they don't follow right behind them. They follow about a half a block away and they wait for the delivery driver to drop off a package on the front porch of some patron. The package is delivered tag is scanned by the delivery driver saying delivered dropped on porch the driver of the delivery vehicle drives away and mere seconds later a vehicle pulls up and a person nonchalantly gets out of their car now of course wearing a covid mask because you know that's acceptable to walk around with a mask covering your face and sunglasses and a baseball cap They walk up to the porch and they purloin the package. That means they stole it. 
They get back to their car and after 15, 20 packages, they go home. Or better yet, they go to one of those mini storage warehouse lots. They open up an empty storage room, put their packages in there, and simply throw a padlock on it until later that day when they come back and empty out their goods, stolen goods, from the storage lot. They go through the boxes and if there's stuff they want, they keep it. If there's stuff of value that they don't necessarily want, they sell it at flea markets and swap meets and whatever else you want to call it. Garage sales, yard sales. Or they leave them in a storage warehouse and put them online and sell them on the World Wide Web. Some people say, well, it's the delivery company's fault. Not really. Some people say, well, it's the person who ordered that product who wasn't home and should have been. No, the fault lies clearly with the thief, the low-life thug piece of garbage who thinks they have a right to steal someone's stuff. Low-life thug piece of garbage. There's no other way to describe them. You can't say, well, maybe they were in need. If they were in need, they wouldn't be wasting gasoline driving around following delivery trucks now, would they? Sometimes it's people's medicine that gets delivered, stolen, and then either discarded or sold. And sometimes that medicine is life-saving medicine, insulin, or other very critical need prescriptions. But these porch pirates do not give a damn. They feel entitled. They feel like this is their way of getting their reparations. This is their way of getting back at the man, at the system. I can promise you, I work from home. The security camera system is on. I can see all four corners and all four sides of my house. I can see into the back gate and out from the backyard to the gate. I sincerely feel pity for any porch pirate who purloins my packages from my porch. For I have a 9mm and a 40 caliber with your name on it. I have a sawed-off shotgun with your name on it. I will protect my property, including the property that I haven't even had the opportunity to open yet because you decided to be a thief and steal it. Oh, I can promise you, I will be on the news the day someone takes something from my porch because I will fill them full of lead. That is not a threat, boys and girls. That is a wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, back-to-front promise. I have no issue whatsoever shooting someone. Not even a second thought would go through my mind. But it's just stuff. You mean you would take a life over some thing, some object? Oh, Steve Z, you really are a piece of crap. No, I'm a person who works hard for everything I buy, everything I have. 
and I'll be damned if I'm going to let someone steal it from me. And if they come to my door looking for a fight, I promise you, they will get one. They will get one warning, put it down, get on your hands and knees, now get on the ground, put your hands behind your back. I will call 911 and I will have them arrested and charged if they attempt to attack me in any way, shape, fashion, manner, or form, I will pull the trigger until there is nothing left in the magazine. And when the police officer says, Steve Z, why did you shoot that guy 13 times? I will say, because I only had 13 bullets in that magazine. I was fearing for my life, for my safety, and the reflex action of my trigger finger kept clicking even after the magazine was empty. Every time the body flexed, I felt threatened. Every time that body jerked and jumped from the bullets going in, I felt as if it were trying to get up and attack me, so I kept shooting. Oh my God, hands on me, headshot, go, 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 go. That, my friends, is the truth, and sometimes, the truth hurts, and sometimes the truth kills. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. According to Finder.com, porch pirate statistics are listed, and over 35 million Americans say they have been the victims of package theft. Now, I want you to think about that. There are 330 million Americans, which means over one-tenth or 10% of Americans admit that someone has stolen something from them on their porch by a thug porch pirate. Shopping online and having items sent to your home is commonplace and more popular than ever, especially since the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019, the Kung flu has forced more and more people to stay home. Unfortunately, Package theft has also become commonplace. Roughly 14% of Americans say they've been victims of package theft in the last 12 months, according to a recent study and survey by Finder.com. This equates to about 36.5 million Americans and an average value of $156.82 being reported stolen. In total, according to the survey findings, Americans lost $5.4 billion from package theft just over the past 12 months, courtesy of pesky porch pirates. Porch pirates, of course, are those thug animal thieves who steal packages left on porches with the hopes that they've acquired something of value. Larger packages may be of greater focus because package thieves think a bigger package means higher valued product. The phrase porch pirate dates back to the early 2010s. Most Americans report having packages pilfered once to twice at most in the last 12 months before they learn their lessons. While about 39% said they only had one package stolen, 36 other percent said they've had at least two 
packages stolen. While it's unclear, hopefully this means the victims increased their security measures to prevent further package purloining. However, 11% of people surveyed say that they've been victimized three or more times. I remember Gomer Pyle, USMC. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, Sergeant Carter. Men were more likely to report an item had been stolen when compared to women, with about 17% of men saying they'd had a package stolen versus 11% of women. The value of the items was also higher for men, with the average cost of a stolen package for men being $190.47, compared to $111.72 for women. That isn't surprising, considering Finder's Black Friday survey also shows men spend more than women. When looking by generation, 22% of the millennials surveyed said they were victims of porch pirates. Compared to all other generations, 41% of millennials said that they had a package stolen in the last 12 months. Millennials also had the highest average value of stolen items, coming in at a reported $185.97 followed by Gen X at 165 and a quarter, Baby Boomers at $124.69. In total, millennials report over $2.7 billion lost to pesky porch pirates. Gen X came in second at $1.6 billion, Baby Boomers at $0.7 billion. That's $700 million for those of you not math inclined. Generally speaking, the more money you have, the more likely you were to report a stolen item. 27% of those earning over $120,000 a year said they had a package stolen. Those making under $20,000 a year reported the lowest level of theft at only 10%, tied with those earning between eighty dollars to $100,000 per year. Now, while those earning eighty dollars to $999,999 were tied for last place in regards to how often they had packages stolen. Those in the 80 to 100,000 bracket were in the top spot with regards to the value of items stolen, claiming the average package being stolen was worth $266 and 18 wonderful cents. So who are the people snatching your packages? 3% of Americans surveyed admitted to having stolen a package in the last 12 months. Wait a minute. 3%? 3% of Americans admitted in the last 12 months that they'd stolen a package. Now hold up just a minute. In a country of 330 million people, if 3%, 3% admit to having stolen a package in the last year, that equates to 9,900,000 Americans who actually had the audacity, the nerve, the unmitigated gall to walk onto someone's porch and steal their package. And of the people who said they'd had a package stolen, around 1 in 10, actually 9.24%, said they'd also stolen someone else's package. Oh my God. 
So, blah, 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 carry the one. Let's do the math on this one. Earlier I told you that in America in the last 12 months, 14% of the American population claims they have been a victim of package theft. That works out to 35.5 million Americans. Out of that 35.5 million Americans, 9.24% of those who claim someone stole a package from them admit to stealing packages themselves. So, that is 3.28 million victims of package theft, porch pirates, the victims of porch pirates, 3.28 million of those victims are also porch pirates. Now, before I go any further and read on into this long list of mathematical formulas and facts and figures, could it possibly be one of those, you steal my stuff and I'll steal your stuff and we can both file claims, then I'll get what you wanted and you'll get it because the insurance will pay for it. And then you'll get what I wanted and I'll get what I wanted too because again, insurance will pay those claims. It drives the cost of products through the roof for the remainder of us who do not steal packages. It's all starting to come into focus now, my friends. There's a racket going on out there. Men are far more likely to admit to being porch pirates, with 5.29% of men saying they've done so, compared to just 0.85% of women. This means that men are 522% more likely to steal a package than a woman if you go by those who have admitted to doing it. Porch Pirates by Generation, this statistic says that Gen Xers are more likely to have stolen a package in the last 12 months, with 4.57% saying they'd done so, following by Millennials at 4.3 and Generation Z at 3.8. Due to the current state of our world, Coronavirus, businesses being shut down, more people forced to not be able to go shopping. Online shopping is now at an all-time high. And as shown in the report that I just read, porch piracy is alive and well. So here are some tips that may help curb your chances of being a victim. Curbside pickup. Now more than ever, many Americans still prefer going to the store especially now as a way to get out of the house and away from the pesky people you live with. If a site you are ordering from offers curbside pickup, it gives you the opportunity to avoid a porch pirate, thus foiling their activity before they can make their move. According to Core Site Research, three quarters of the top 50 store-based retailers offer curbside pickup as of August 2020. Next, video surveillance. While it may not stop your packages from being purloined, cameras might deter a would-be porch pirate. Tools like the Ring doorbell can even allow you to shout to potential thieves, telling them, hey MF, I've got a gun and I'm on my way to the door. Drop it or die. The next option might cost you something, a post office box. A P.O. box at your local post office will ensure your package is handled by a 
postal professional until you come to retrieve it, in most cases. You can also require a signature for the delivery driver. If you're not sure that you'll be available to get your package when it arrives, require a signature so that it's not left unattended. There's also Package Protection Pal. If you have a friend or neighbor that you can trust, you can ask them to retrieve the package for you. Or you could even have it sent to your job if you're working away from home. While this option may not be as applicable today with so many people working from home, it is still a viable option for those of you who work in an office building or a warehouse or even a fast food joint. Many offices have security that will hold that package for you. And if not, there's a greater chance of security cameras in a business than there is for a package being simply left on your porch. The bottom line, boys and girls, do your best to stay safe. Use this holiday shopping season to take the necessary precautions to protect your packages as well as yourself. If you're shopping online, be careful. Make sure you're doing so with a verified seller. Now, the data I just read to you is based on an online survey of 1,790 United States adults who claim to be born between 1928 and 2002. The survey was commissioned by Finder.com, conducted by Pure Profile in September of 2020. All participants were paid for their responses. And for those of you who aren't quite sure what the effective dates of your generational guidelines are, Generation Z, 1997 to 2002, dates of birth. Millennials, 1981 to 1996. Generation X, 1965 to 1980. Baby boomers, like myself, 1946 to 1964. The Silent Generation, 1928 to 1945, better known as the Greatest Generation. So whatever you do this year, this holiday season, and really year throughout the year, make sure you have a plan for your porch packages to prevent porch pirates purloining. This is the Truth Hurts Program. And November came and November left, and the Dow finished slightly down by 0.91% on the day, but it finished the best month in over three decades. Stocks slipped Monday, but closed out November with hefty gains, capping a furious month-long rally fueled by bets that scientists are closer than ever to finalizing Kung Fu vaccines to fight the Kung flu pandemic. The market's momentum faded on the final trading day of November the 30th, with all three major indexes ending slightly lower. But those losses did not chip away much from the stock's performance for the month. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, those top 30 performing stocks, rose 12%, marking its best month since January 1987. Standards & Poor's, or S&P 500, roared 11% ahead for its best showing since April. The Nasdaq Composite climbed 12%. 
With officials in the U.S. looking close to approving the distribution of multiple vaccines against the Kung flu, many money managers have bet throughout the month that the economy will be able to recover the lost activity over the next year. Some signs point to President-elect gropey Joe Biden and hoping for a relatively smooth transition into the White House have eased some of the political uncertainty that had fed into the heightened market and the market volatility earlier in the year. According to the Wall Street Journal, in a sign of investor optimism, shares of companies that had suffered most from the pandemic, such as energy producers, cruise line operators, and banks posted steep gains. Chevron rallied 25% in November, posting its largest monthly gain since 1980. Shares of small U.S.-focused companies also outperformed the broader market. The Russell 2000 index advanced 18% in November, scoring its best-ever monthly gain. The market's retreat late Monday shows that a rally is not immune to setbacks. Surging coronavirus infections in the U.S. and the possibility for logistical hiccups in the distribution of vaccine shots could lead to further bouts of selling. Some investors wonder what fuel stocks will do from here. And now the big question marks like the election and the likelihood of a successful vaccine appear to be in the rearview mirror. The Dow fell on Monday, November 30th, 271.73 points, less than 1%, to 29,638.64 under under the Donald Trump administration. The S&P slipped a whopping 16.7 points, and the Nasdaq fell 7 points. Still, many strategists expect that investors will ultimately view any declines as a buying opportunity. Daniel Morris, chief market strategist at BNP Paribas Asset Management, said, We've got a lot of good vaccine news. We should, for the most part, move up between now and the end of the year, with a chance for a slight setback here or there. Shares of the drug maker Moderna, one of the vaccine manufacturers, jumped 20% by $25.71 a share to a $152.74 on Monday after saying it would ask U.S. and European health regulators to go ahead and authorize use of the Wuhan China novel coronavirus 2019 vaccine that they produce. In Asia, investors were rattled by a Reuters report that Donald Trump's administration is poised to add another producer, CNOOC, and a chip maker, Semiconductor Manufacturing International, to a blacklist of alleged Chinese military companies. Stocks in those two companies tumbled today in overseas markets. Markets are concerned about more restrictions from the U.S., on investing in Chinese companies. Some investors would rather stay on the sidelines awaiting more clarity on vaccine developments in the U.S. and policy direction as the nation transitions to the gropey Joe camel toe regime. Banks and energy producers dropped share prices in Europe, weighing on the stocks Europe 600, which finished down 1%. Well, we finished at 0.9 on Monday, so it's not that big a deal. It might be time for you to stick a few more stocks in your portfolio. This is the Truth Hurts Program. 
Speaking of something I find interesting, did anyone read that article about Bitcoin I sent you? Didn't we mine some a few years ago? We, we definitely mined some. I, I remember sitting in your bedroom and writing the program. I think we ended up with a bunch of it. Basically worthless when we got them. Will you be accepting Bitcoin? Well, I don't know what that is, but it's got coin in it and my cash register doesn't. So, yeah. What's Bitcoin? It's a new online currency that's been developed. Uh, it's just like actual money, except you can't see it, hold it, or spend it on anything. If it's not tangible, how do you know it's not just going to vanish tomorrow? You don't have to buy Bitcoin. You can mine it. Mine it? Like mining gold? Yeah, sort of. There's a limited amount, and we find it by using a computer to solve complex mathematical problems. We have to write an elaborate program in order to find a fake coin that we can't spend on anything? Yes. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, staying up late, writing code, and sounds like a party. Before we begin, this may have some unprecedented tax implications. In fact, we should start early because we're going to be on the phone with the IRS for hours. If you didn't know, that was the Jim Parsons portrayal of Dr. Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory. Now, I guess you're wondering why I brought up the Bitcoin bit. Bitcoin traded today at $19,613.20 a share for something that doesn't exist, for something you can't go out and readily spend. And I could have bought Bitcoin. I'm sure many of you could have when it started out back in its beginnings. I remember in 2015 at $582 per coin, fell to a low of $216 per coin and now is trading at 19,613 US dollars per coin. Cryptocurrency. It uses peer-to-peer -peer technology to operate with no central authority or central bank. Managing transactions and the issuing of bitcoins is carried out collectively by a network. Bitcoin is what is called open source. The design is public. Nobody owns or controls Bitcoin. Everyone can take part. Through many of its unique properties, Bitcoin allows exciting uses that could not be covered by any previous method of payment. So the question is, how does it work? As a new user, you can get started with Bitcoin without understanding the technical details. And once you've installed a Bitcoin wallet on your computer or your tablet or your smartphone, it will generate a Bitcoin address and you can create more whenever you need it. You can disclose your addresses to your friends so they can pay you in Bitcoin or vice versa. Sort of like how email works, except Bitcoin addresses should only be used once. The blockchain is a shared public ledger on which the entire Bitcoin network relies. Every confirmed transaction is included in the blockchain. It allows Bitcoin wallets to calculate their spendable balance so that a new transaction can be verified, ensuring that it is actually owned by the spender. The integrity, the chronological order of the blockchain are enforced with cryptography Transaction is a transfer of value between Bitcoin wallets that gets included in the blockchain. Bitcoin wallets keep a secret piece of data called a private key or a seed which is used to sign transactions, providing a mathematical proof that they came from the actual owner of the wallet. 
That digital signature also prevents transactions from being altered by anyone once they've been issued. Transactions are all broadcast to the network and can be confirmed within 10 to 20 minutes throughout a process called mining. The mining is a distributed consensus system that is used to confirm pending transactions by including them in the blockchain. It enforces a chronological order in the blockchain, protects the neutrality of the network, and allows different computers to agree on the state of the overall system. In order to be confirmed, a transaction must be packed in a block that fits very strict cryptographic rules that are verified by the network. Those rules prevent the blocks from being modified because doing so would invalidate all of the subsequent blocks. The mining process also creates the equivalent of a competitive lottery that prevents any individual from easily adding new blocks consecutively to the chain. In this way, no group, no individual can control what is included in the blockchain and no one can replace parts of the blockchain to roll back their own spends. That's just a short summary of Bitcoin. I still don't understand it. If you want to learn more details, you can actually read the original paper that documents its design or developer documentation, or you can explore the Bitcoin wiki by going to bitcoin.org and searching how it works. Something that started out as an imaginary thing was given an imaginary value and then sold for real money and then bought for real money and sold again for real money, but its value goes up and up and up. I just wish I would have bought a bunch of it when it was very inexpensive. Because as I said, as the close of trading November 30th, Bitcoin was trading at over 19,000 US dollars per coin. 19,595.27 as of 9.13 p.m. Central Time, November the 30th. This is the Truth Hurts Program. The orator of original thought, the master of ceremonies for the conservative mindset, and the moderator of the Truth Hurts Program. Your host, Steve Z. And finally this morning, the final two of six contested states have certified their elections, meaning it looks like the fat lady is getting ready to sing. Gropey, mopey, dopey Joe Biden will be your new president. Lord help us all. Conservative commentator Sean Hannity says that Donald Trump should exercise his presidential power to pardon himself and his family in advance to avoid a witch hunt after he leaves office. Hannity said the president out the door needs to pardon his whole family and himself. I assume that the power of the pardon is absolute since there's nothing that limits that power. He should be able to pardon anybody he wants to. During an interview with Trump advocate Sidney Powell, Hannity brought up a recent opinion article in the New York Slimes from Andrew Weissman a lead prosecutor in the investigation led by former special counsel Robert Mueller, the opinion editorial called for President-elect Joe Biden's attorney general to investigate Trump, if warranted, and prosecute him for federal crimes. Of course, they want to smear Trump's name. They want to make sure that Americans have a black mark next to Trump's name. Wait, what? <laughs> 
black mark is racist. It's racist for me to say a black mark. They want a black mark against Trump's name so that he won't run against gropey Joe Biden again in 2024. <laughs> I mean, they don't want Trump to run against Camel Toe Harris in 2024. So if they smear his name, smear his family name, and even put him in jail, then he won't have a leg to stand on if he tries to run again four years from now. Weissman commented, They want this witch hunt to go on in perpetuity. They're so full of rage and insanity against this president. Hannity repeated his suggestion Monday night during his primetime show on Fox News, once again bringing up Weissman's article. If that's what they want to do, if Biden becomes president, I'd tell President Trump, pardon yourself and pardon your family. He said this during an interview with former Republican Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. Despite Hannity's suggestion, it's unclear whether a president has the power to pardon himself. A senior lecturer at Yale, a former FBI agent named Asha Rangappa, wrote an editorial opinion in the Washington Post that the move would be risky given that there has been no precedent. Well, if the president sets the precedent, then there's a precedent by the president. Duh! And by pardoning himself, Trump would essentially be admitting that he was at least guilty of one or more of the crimes that they accuse him of. And therefore, if the Supreme Court steps in and says, you don't have that power, that was not intended in the Constitution, he will have admitted to doing some crime and that could go against him in the future. The nearest example of a president attempting to pardon himself would be Richard Nixon, whose lawyers suggested he self-pardon in 74. In response, the Justice Department issued a memorandum opinion to the Attorney General stating that the president's pardoning power could not be applied to himself. So President Gerald R. Ford, his VP, pardoned Nixon following his resignation. Mark Greenberg, a professor of law and philosophy at UCLA, said that experts have varying opinions on the matter since no president has actually pardoned himself. Greenberg, though through his best interpretation of the law, told the Post that the Constitution doesn't give Trump the power to pardon himself and his family. He added that the presidential pardon clause has restrictions, just like the majority of laws in the Constitution. By potentially offering a self-pardon, Trump would violate fundamental principles of American law, which include conflict of interest. Greenberg said the pardon power would also have unacceptable consequences if the president could pardon himself. He'd be able to essentially commit extremely serious crimes and immediately pardon himself, which would effectively put him above the law. Greenberg said that additionally, a president can't use his executive powers for corrupt purposes, such as making decisions which might benefit or enrich himself or his family. And if Trump pardons himself and his family, the action could fall under those categories. He says the president has a duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And for him to interfere with the execution of those laws by, say, pardoning a family member, seems it would clearly violate that duty. Well, that's your opinion, Mr. Greenberg. That is your opinion. The president himself seems to disagree and obviously doesn't give a damn about what Greenberg has to say. Who the hell's Greenberg anyway? Last month, the president retweeted a post from Representative Matt Gates of Florida suggesting the president pardon himself. 
He's been mulling over the option to preemptively pardon himself and his family since 2017, according to CNN. And supposedly, he became obsessed with the possibility. In 2018, the president tweeted that he had the absolute right to pardon himself, but added that it wouldn't be necessary because he's done nothing wrong. And he's right. What has he done wrong? Four years of witch hunts, four years of investigations by the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, four years of a proctology-style investigation of this man by every news media outlet, by Democrats, by federal agencies, have shown he has done nothing wrong. But even if Trump issues the pardon to himself and his family, any legal challenges to his actions would be taken only if Biden's Justice Department tried to pursue an investigation and then bring charges against the president. Let's face it, mopey, dopey, gropey, sleepy, creepy, touchy-feely Joe Biden says he has no interest in investigating Trump now, but after Camel Toe Harris, Nasty Nancy Pelosi, Alexandria Horseface Cortez, Chuckle Schumer, Ilhan Omar, and the like get their claws into Biden, he's going to crumble like a house of cards. Greenberg says if he's never charged by a federal prosecutor, it would never come up and would never be tested. So, in other words, if Trump does decide to pardon himself for crimes he hasn't committed and just issue a blanket pardon to he and his family, it is inviting the Justice Department. It is begging the Justice Department to do something, to charge him with something, to test whether or not that is something he could actually do. Well, that's going to do it for this morning's December 1st, 2020 edition of the Truth Hurts program. We're in the home stretch, folks, the last month of the year. Just 24 short days until Christmas. And for those of you hoping for a Merry Christmas 2024 in which the Trump Presidency 2.0 kicks into gear, it is only 1,485 days until Wednesday, December 25th, 2024. You might want to start wrapping presents now. This is the Truth Hurts program. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. This is the College of Common Sense at the University of Universal Understanding. We hope that you have learned something worthwhile from today's presentation, and we invite you to share it with family, friends, co-workers, and even those you do not particularly care for. Programs like the Truth Hurts with Steve Z are amongst our most cherished rights in a so far free nation. Let us hope that freedom can be continued. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. This recorded work is copyright 2020 and is the property of Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. The Truth Hurts program is produced at Studio 63 in association with Steve Knight Productions and background music is provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Again, 
We thank you for listening. Thank you.